Welcome to Chief Chat, the official podcast of the Army and Air Force Exchange Service, the Department of Defense's largest retailer. Chief Master Sergeant Kevin Osby, the exchange's senior enlisted advisor, discusses readiness, resiliency, and your exchange benefit with military leaders, Hollywood A-listers, athletes, and more. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Chief Chat. What is up, my exchange family from all over the world, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Chief Chat. My name is Chief Master Sergeant Kevin Osby, and I'm your Senior Enlisted Advisor for the Army and Air Force Exchange Service. Before we get started with our guests today, I would like to introduce my lovely co-hosts, Kiana Holloman and Dora Trillo. How y'all doing, ladies? Hi, Chief. Hi, Kiana. Uh, how's everything going in Dallas? Oh, so much better. It's brighter today. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm reporting live from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, just want to give a shout out to the folks here at Fort Carson for hosting me, uh, doing site visits. Uh, nobody told me uh, how dry it was here in Colorado Springs. So I, I needed to bring some like extra strength lotion. And I think I forgot it. So I'll buy some at the, at the PX though. Okay. But um, if, you're, if you're a sports enthusiast like myself, you're way too familiar with our next guest. Uh, and, but I didn't realize prior to booking this interview that he's been inspired the world with his novels for many years. So without further ado, Kiana, please introduce our next guest. Joining us today is a best-selling author, sports journalist, and talk show host. He is widely known for his international bestseller, Tuesdays with Maury, which has sold more than 17 million copies worldwide. Today, he joins us to discuss his new novel, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, available tax-free at shopmyexchange.com. Please give a warm Chief Chat welcome to Mitch Album. Hey. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. Nice to be with you. Absolutely. So, Mitch, man, it's an honor to have you with us today. We really appreciate you uh, spending a little time with us on the show. Uh, can you let our viewers know where you're coming to us from? Uh, right now, I'm in Laguna Beach, California. Uh, that's not where I live. I live in Detroit, but uh, I came out here for the Super Bowl, which is Sunday, and uh, I've gone to I've gone to the last thirty five Super Bowls uh, anyhow as a sports writer, a commentator. So it's not really new, but this year especially, I wanted to come out because having lived in Detroit all my uh oh hi there Sorry. yeah. I, I, think, I think Mitch got kicked off. Oh, did I kick Mitch off? Yeah, I think you kicked Mitch off. All right, let me just. Uh oh. Yeah, he must have clicked on. Uh, yeah, he must have accidentally kicked him off. We'll we'll, we'll uh, stand by, stand by until uh, Mitch comes back on. So let's let's since he mentioned Super Bowl, who who are y'all sports fans? Who y'all got for the Super Bowl? I'm, I'm rooting for the <laughs> When the Cowboys were out, I was out. Sorry. <laughs> I'm Dallas all the way. But I'll be watching. So so why, why, why the Rams for you, Kiana? I love California. I love LA. It's not my team, but I'm going to root for someone. It's going to be the Rams down. Gotcha. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a LSU, I'm an LSU enthusiast and, and I got Joe Burrow and, uh, and Jamar Chase. And so I, I got to go for the Bengals, even though I'm a Cowboy fan. I'm with you, Dora. When the Cowboys 
when the Cowboys <laughs> left, you know. But for some reason, I'm used to the Cowboys leaving at some point um. <laughs> before the Super Bowl. So yeah, it hurts my I heart know. to say that. It is sad to admit. Gotcha. So hopefully, Mitch will be joining us here in a second. Yes. For him to be going to the last 38 Super Bowls, but that's a, a lot of Super Bowls to go to. A lot of Super Bowls. And that, that is one thing I did not know about. I know you know him from his sports journalism, and that's one of the questions. Oh, there we go. Hey, what's going on, Mitch? How you doing? Uh, I, got, I think you're on mute. No? You can you hear us? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yep. Hold on. Yep. What we'll do, we'll try to uh, have you come back in and well, I think he froze. I think he's trying to come back in. The beauty of live television, you guys. This is what we do. Is it any better now? Any better now? There we go. Yes. You know, I, I, I've heard rumors of military equipment failing in the middle of an operation, but I, <laughs> I know it, it, it came down to this level here. I, I, I promise you I wasn't saying anything controversial. I, uh, I was just... <laughs> I was just telling you why I was out here, and I, I think I froze in the middle. But to quickly answer the question you asked me, I'm here in California, not because I live here. I live in Detroit, but uh, I'm going to the Super Bowl on Sunday uh, because uh, having been a Detroit sports writer for the last 30-whatever uh, years, uh, I realized we're never going to the Super Bowl. And so it's so <laughs> the quarterback that we used to have now plays for the Rams, and in one year, after 12 years of never winning a playoff game in Detroit, in one year he went to the Super Bowl, uh, I'm going to come out and watch him, and then if he wins, everyone in Detroit is going to count it as our Super Bowl. And so I will be there as a witness. Well, Mitch, I can tell you that uh, the military budget, if you if you know anything about the military budget, it's the defense budget that doesn't invest a lot in, in, in IT. So we definitely uh, got to get, get better in that. But, um, so I'll say that's true. Yeah. Okay. So, but I, but I, I'm assuming I'm assuming you're you're going for the Rams. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going for Matthew Stafford to win. I know him well. He's worked with us on our charities in Detroit. Uh, you know, I I did a, a radio thing with him for 12 years, and so yeah, you root at this stage. You know, people always ask for sports writers, do you root for a particular team? And I always say, no, you root for guys. You know, you root for people that you know who you like. Uh, more so than you root for teams, and I know him and I like him, so I hope he wins. Yeah, and and we were talking about it when you got kicked off. We start talking about Super Bowl and, and who we thought would win, and so Kiana's on your side. She she's cheering for the Rams, not not for any reason that you said, but just because she likes LA. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm a LSU fan because I'm from I, I grew up in Louisiana, oh, so we know where you're you yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Even though uh, OBJ is playing for the Rams, uh, but I got I got to give it to Joe Cool. Yeah, and and uh, and uh, Jamar Chase too. So. Jamar Chase, absolutely. Right. So your writing collection um, often inspires readers to appreciate life. 
And this is especially demonstrated in your international bestseller, Tuesdays with Maury. So for those who aren't familiar, what sparked your idea to kind of leave the sports journalism world for a sec and write Tuesdays with Maury? And how has that changed your life since it, its release? Well, I like the way you asked that, leave the sports world for a sec, because that's <laughs> kind of what I was planning to do, except I ended up sort of leaving permanently. It was really quite an accident, to be honest with you. I was uh, 37 years old. I had not, up to that point, I was just a sports writer. I wrote sports books. I was on ESPN. I did sports program. Everything in my life was sports. And that's really how I kind of intended it to be. Uh, but I happened to be watching television one night, and I saw the Nightline program with Ted Koppel, and he was interviewing an old professor of mine named Maury Schwartz, who I had been very close with in college, and then had lost touch with uh, as I had kind of pursued my own ambitions and, you know, my own career. And he was someone who, you know, was really like an uncle to me back in college. And I promised that I would stay in touch with, but I broke that promise for 16 years. Now here he was on the Nightline program talking to Ted Koppel about what it was like to die. And I realized through this program that he had Lou Gehrig's disease and only had a few months left to live. And so feeling guilty, I, I, I went out to visit him, what I thought would be a one-time visit, and one turned to two and two to three and three to four and four. And they all turned into all the Tuesdays that he had left in his life. Still, I wasn't planning on writing a book. I was just getting this amazing education from this man who was dying and was able to say to me, this matters. This doesn't matter. You think this matters. But when you get to where I am and you will, uh, it's not going to matter. And, and it was just an amazing last class in what was important in life. And. I found out that he was very in debt for his medical bills. Uh, he told me during one of our visits and they didn't have enough money to pay them. And he was afraid that after he died, his family would have to sell their house and just to pay off all these medical bills. So I had the idea that maybe I could write a book to help him pay his bills. And that's all it was ever supposed to be. And I went out to different publishers in New York with the idea. And believe it or not, almost every publisher said, nah, boring, not interested, depressing. You're a sports writer. You can't write a book like that. Uh, and I probably would have given up if it wasn't for someone else. And, you know, when you do things for someone else, you push a little bit harder than you do sometimes for yourself. And the military certainly knows that, you know, that's kind of the, the backbone uh, uh, principle behind people who serve in, in the military. And so I finally kept pushing. I found one publisher who was willing to do the book um, three weeks before Maury died. And they gave us just enough money to pay his bills. And I gave it all to Maury. And I said, here, at least, you know, you don't have to worry about dying a second death, as he would call it. You can pay off your bills. And to me, I always felt that was kind of the end of Tuesdays with Maury, because I had finally learned to do some one nice thing for this man who had done so many nice things for me. And I'd stopped thinking about my career and my career and my career and just did something to help somebody else. And it wasn't supposed to be a big book. They only printed 20,000 copies of it. And I thought I'd have them in the trunk of my car for the rest of my life and be giving them out to people. <laughs> And um, funny thing happened. The book came out and people just started reading it and passed it on and one passed to another and another and another. And now it's the biggest selling memoir in the history of publishing. And to finish your question, you said, how did it change my life? It changed my life in every way, because instead of now being the guy who people would stop in airports and say, hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl? And I would say, you know, the Patriots. And I would keep walking. Now, all of a sudden, they were stopping me and saying, well, my mother died of cancer, and the last thing we did was read your book together. Can I talk to you about her? 
and you can't go Patriots and keep walking. You know, mm -hmm. you have to stop and listen and listen and listen. And I have stopped and listened pretty much every day of my life since that book came out to someone tell me a story about someone that they lost or someone who's sick or something that they're going through or the grieving, or whatever. And you become sensitive to that when you hear so many stories like that and your world starts to change and mine started to move away from sports and into things that had more to do with the meaning of life for, for, for want of a, of a better phrase. And all my subsequent books, nine books since then, even to the latest, The Strange and Lifeboat, none of them have been about sports. They've all been about, you know, these bigger picture things. So it was a, a left turn just like that. Well, th that's actually what my question was going to be, because as Kiana mentioned, Tuesdays was more was your breakout novel. And, you know, it just became such a big thing for everybody. Um, and then, of course, you had your career in sports journalism before that. But you didn't stop there. You know, you kind of went into a world of creative writing. So what kind of um, kept you going or what was that transition like? Well, Tuesdays with Maury, of course, wasn't a novel. It was nonfiction. So it was a true story. And I thought that I would just go back to sports writing. Uh, but once that book took off, and then became this monster uh, publishing thing. Then I kind of froze, to be honest. I didn't know what I, I should do next. Everybody suddenly wanted me to write Wednesdays with Maury, you know, and Thursdays and Chicken Soup with Maury and Venus and Mars and Maury, you know, any kind of derivative of the Maury franchise. And, and I didn't want to do that because that wasn't the reason that I wrote that book. And I didn't think that that was honest or, or proper. Uh, but by the same token, I knew that if I wrote another nonfiction book, everybody would compare it to Tuesdays with Maury and say, well, it's not Tuesdays with Maury. So I said, well, maybe I should just try fiction, you know, try a novel. At least that'll be totally different. And of course, the same publishers who told me, no, we don't want Tuesdays with Maury, bad idea. And who are now saying, oh, we want Wednesdays with Maury, good idea. <laughs> and when they heard I said I wanted to write a novel, they said, bad idea, bad idea. Don't do that. You know, uh, that's a terrible mistake, you know, uh, People who write nonfiction should stay with nonfiction and people who write fiction should stay with fiction. And I said, well, that's what you said about Tuesdays with Maury when I came to you the first time. So I'm not going to listen to you. And I wrote a little book called The Five People You Meet in Heaven. And uh, that was a novel. And that, that book, which, by the way, was inspired by my uncle who was in the military and it was inspired by his experience in the military uh, because he served in World War II. Uh, fought in Europe and fought in the Philippines. And when I was a kid, I used to say to him, uh, Uncle Ed, and he was this barrel chested kind of guy. He was like Popeye, you know, he'd always wear those beater t-shirts. <laughs> he would tuck them in at dinner time, So it was formal wear, you know, like that. And, uh, you know, he, he used to, uh, when we were kids, we used to get, get on his biceps and he would lift us up like that. And uh, I said to him when I was a kid, when you were in the war, did you ever kill anybody? And he said, I might have. And, you know, I, 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 you know, what he meant was there were many firefights that they had at night and they were firing and it, who knows where his bullets went. And I thought, what a thing to sort of carry around with you. Maybe you killed somebody, maybe you didn't, not to know. And so I cr created this story about this former soldier who dies when he's 83 years old, thinking he's a nobody and, and goes to heaven and meets five people from his life who explained to him how he touched them in some little way and changed their life forever. And one of them is a little girl he encountered in the war. 
and so, you know, actually my very first novel had a lot of military stuff in it. And I, I leaned on my brother-in-law who's been in the Navy for many, many, many years and was a Navy pilot. And uh, he had a lot of good help and, and so did a lot of other people in my family. And, and uh, that book became a big, big, big success. And so from that point, you know, I was free to sort of write fiction or nonfiction, and I've just sort of stayed in that ever since. And well, I'm, I'm glad you, um, you you didn't listen to the, those publishers. And a uh, huge shout out to your, your uncle and your brother-in-law for their service uh, to this country. I, I know it's uh, it, it's awesome that they were able to inspire you, you know, to write write a novel that that touches everybody, but 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 it's based off it's it, it was kind of inspired from a military. Uh, a military encounter. So, so Absolutely. your your new book, your new book, "The Stranger in a Lifeboat," was released in November, and we've all read it and uh, felt really deeply moved by the story, especially the growth of a few characters. So, uh, if you don't mind, we're going to play a trailer of the novel to share with our viewers right now before we go kind of start talking about the the book. Sure. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and play the novel. Let's take a look at it, or the trailer. I'm sorry. How did the ship blow up? Are we the only ones left? How long can we survive in this lifeboat? Look! There's someone in the water! Pull him in! Are you? Are you okay? I don't recognize him. He's probably in shock. Well, whoever you are, thank the Lord we found you. I am the Lord. Mm. That about sets it up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It, uh, now, Keanu's going to go in uh, and, and kind of talk about the book a little bit. Yeah, so the trailer revealed the major event that changed the lives of the characters, which is the boat explosion. Um, and throughout the story, the reader takes the journey with those on the lifeboat, questioning if the stranger is actually the Lord. Um, and while reading it, I even found myself questioning the stranger and his behavior at times. So, what was the inspiration behind the stranger's character and the predicament that the characters found themselves in? So when I write novels, I, I tend to try to come up with an idea that I want to explore more so than a plot. Once I have the idea, then I find a plot that suits it. And the idea that I wanted to write about was asking for help. You know, over the last couple of years with COVID and everything, a lot of us have asked for help. We prayed for help. We've prayed, you know, for our relatives to get better or our loved ones to get better. We prayed not to get sick or not to lose our job. And some of us have had our prayers answered and some have not. And it strikes me that, you know, when we, especially as Americans, when we ask for help and we pray to God for help, we kind of want it like the next day. And when it doesn't come, we don't get better. The job was lost anyhow. Or the money doesn't come, whatever it is, we get kind of disappointed. And we think, well, that prayer wasn't answered or God's ignoring me. But then five, 10 years later, I see people who look back on things that happened. They say, well, it was really terrible when it happened at the time. But, you know, 
if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened. And I wouldn't have met this person and I wouldn't have gotten married and this would have. So I guess it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Well, if it is the best thing that could have happened to you 10 years from now, it's probably the best thing that could happen to you now. You just don't understand it. So I wanted to write about what happens when we cry out for help and it doesn't come the way we think it comes. And I had an experience with, uh, you know, I run an orphanage in Haiti. I'm out every month and I uh, have been there for the last 12 years. And, and my wife and I adopted one of the kids there who had a brain tumor um, and she died after two years. And I was very angry at God and very angry at the world and couldn't understand, you know, how he could take a child. And so I kind of wrote the book from that perspective, too, because it's only after a number of years have passed that I realized uh, that losing our little girl wasn't a loss. Having her was the gift. You know, uh, we didn't lose a child. We were given a child. We were in our 50s. We never had children of our own, although we have 54 orphans we, we raised, but we never had children of our own. And suddenly we had this little girl in our lives. That was the answer to a prayer that we had made 15 years earlier. And, and suddenly it came true. So here in the lifeboat are these 10 people who... They survived this explosion. They're out in the water for three days. They're running out of food. They're running out of, 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 of water. The sharks, you know, they're crying out for help in their own way. Help us, somebody help us, somebody save, save us. And then suddenly they see this man floating in the water. They pull him into the boat and he doesn't say anything. And one of the pastors says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he says, I am the Lord. And instead of them saying, you're the Lord, thank God we're saved. They look at him and they see he's a skinny, average looking guy. And they go, no, you're not. And they just don't believe him. And they think he's just some guy who banged his head because he gets hungry. He gets thirsty. You know, uh, he falls asleep a lot. And so he doesn't fit their idea of what help is supposed to look like. And so they ignore him and they don't believe he is who he says he is. Just one or two of the characters think maybe. And so it's what happens in the lifeboat as more and more bad things happen. Storms, running out of food, you know, baking in the sun and all that. Do some of them change their mind about what help looks like and, and actually believe this guy who basically says to them, I can save you, but only if everybody in the life raft believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And that becomes a very difficult challenge. For yeah, sure. And, well yeah, it's an amazing story about, you know, your your wife and your family's um, journey and what um, you guys have gone through as well. But, um, you know, back to the book that throughout the novel, the reader uh, follows the twists and turns of the story. Um, and in the first few chapters, we think the outcome will be a certain way only to get hit by another plot twist. And of course, without revealing too much, there is a pattern that becomes noticeable when the story goes from the newscast back to the sea. Um, and then, of course, later we learn the whole truth. But why did you choose to tell the story that way? Well, it is a thriller and thrillers, you have to keep people on their toes. And so I found that the best way to keep people on their toes was to keep changing where the lens told the story. So sometimes you're in the boat. Sometimes it's a year later and you're with a police officer on an island in the Caribbean who finds the raft empty, floating up on shore, but inside is a notebook. And he's reading the notebook written by one of the passengers and he's trying to figure out 
what happened and why is that raft empty and it showed up on their shores a year later. And then there's these the media reports that go along with it because the boat was full of very rich, famous people. And so it was a big story when it exploded. And you sort of follow the media reports when they, you know, maybe they think someone survived and they ultimately determine nobody survived. Then they get wind of the fact that there's a life raft that's been found on an island and they start going crazy about that and, and, and saying, what does this mean? Is it, could someone have survived? So you never, it, it keeps you jumping because you never quite know, you know, what little piece of information is going to come next. And if you've read the book, then you know that you really don't know unless you've guessed it. You don't know exactly what really happened until the next to the last page. And uh, that's the way you want to kind of write a, a, a thriller. You know, you don't want everybody to know it by page five. What's the point of reading? <laughs> but along the, along the way, you know, I get a chance to, while it's a thriller, I get a chance to put the questions that if instead of me in this box, suddenly, you know, I disappeared and up popped a figure who said, well, I'm the Lord and uh, I've been watching your program. I think you guys do a good job. Uh, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Go ahead and ask me any questions you want. I'm pretty sure you would have some different questions for the Lord than you have for me. And I got to put those questions in the mouths of the characters who are on the life raft. Uh, questions like, do you answer prayers? And the Lord character says, well, I answer every prayer, but sometimes the answer is no. Uh, or, of course, the very big question, why do people have to die? And, uh, you know, that's a big part of the book where one of the characters just breaks down crying and is talking about his wife. And he's, why did you take my wife? Why did my wife have to die? And the answer the Lord gives is, why is it that people on earth, when somebody dies, they always say, why did God take them? Maybe a better question would be, why did God give them to us? What did we do to deserve their love, their sweetness, the memories that they made with us. Didn't you have that with your wife? And he says, I had it every day. And the Lord character says, well, those memories are a gift, but their absence is not a punishment. I'm not here to be cruel to you. People don't die to ruin your world. This isn't the whole story here. Earth is just one part of the story. I know that when your loved ones die here on Earth, you cry. But I can assure you where they are, they're not crying. And, you know, I, I wrote that sentence and that page as much for me as I did for any reader, because that's what I sort of had to, and my wife sort of had to come to in our own minds about our little girl, that while we cry for her uh, and she's not with us anymore, uh, she's not crying where she is. And there's some comfort to be taken from that. So. Along with all this thrilling stuff and, you know, life rafts and boats and explosions and shark attacks and all the rest, there's all these moments where I get to, you know, imagine how God would answer questions. And um, that's a that was a challenge, but, a, you know, an interesting, fun thing to try. Yeah, no, you you absolutely you absolutely did a wonderful job. I'm sitting here reflecting on my life just while you're talking. And so I can't even really concentrate on the interview because I'm thinking about Man, if the Lord was here, what like what questions would I ask? And and, and kind of like going back to a point that you said earlier, um, you know, we, we pray for things and, and when things don't happen, we think that it, our prayers weren't answered. And so I could think of many times in my life, in my career that that I missed out on an opportunity or something didn't happen the way I, I planned it. But 
Uh, I would have never got to this point where I'm at right now without the the doors that shut or the opportunities that that uh, I missed because of what, whatever reason. And so uh, I, I just like the way you were able to kind of apply that to a book um, and, and get all of us really thinking, right? As we're going through this thriller up and ups and downs, but we're, we're able to kind of um, pull that and, and kind of apply that to our own lives. So, and I kind of went into my next question is, what did, what did you want your readers to take away from the novel itself uh, as they read it? Well, I wanted hopefully to provide a little comfort, first of all, for people who um, think that their prayers aren't being answered or people who have lost somebody. Um, there's also a moment in the book that kind of answers your question where, where uh, one of the characters, I'm not really spoiling it to tell you this, but one of the characters decides to take his own life and um, he wants to be with his wife in heaven. And in the middle of the night, he doesn't want to take any more food away from anybody else. He's really kind of being very selfless. And in the middle of the night, he kind of throws himself overboard. And when the other passengers wake up and they see he's not there, they get angry with the Lord character. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the men on the boat starts screaming at him. He says, did you know that that was going to happen? And he said, well, I know everything. And he said, well, then why, you know, how come, you know, you permitted that to happen? If you were really God, you would have stopped it. And he says, uh, God starts things, man stops them. And that's one of the lessons I wanted people to think about is that, you know, we blame God for a lot of our problems and a lot of our issues. Uh, but the truth is, you know, most of them are of our own making. You know, uh, from war, which everybody was watching, this is, you know, we make the wars, not God, you know, to uh, we make cigarettes, we make the drugs, we, we, we make the alcohol, you know, we, we create the stress. Uh, I, I believe that God gave us a world that if we wanted to, we could make it a paradise. If we really all wanted to work together, we could make it a beautiful world. Look at, look at, we could wipe out every disease that there is. Look at what we did with the, with the vaccine in less than a year. We'll really put our mind to it, you know? Uh, and, and we could feed every hungry person on the planet. We have all the resources, but we don't. And, and so we blame God, but maybe we should look internally a little bit more about what we could do. So, you know, there are little lessons like that along the way that I hope, hope people can pull something out of whatever it kind of applies to their life. Yeah, and um, the book really focuses on, you know, that religious aspect and just trusting in God and um, just kind of, you know, self-reflecting on how do I view my relationship with the Lord and how do I see God as my savior, or as my guider when I am the kind of person who, you know, wants things like this, like you mentioned, but then also wants to see the blessings in a particular way. And so even though some of the characters were anchored in a spiritual sense, the book uncovers the simple basic concept of just having faith and hope in something or someone greater than all of us. So how important is that idea in your own life? It's critical. Um, it's the backbone of your existence. You know, there's going to be a, a moment where all your money, uh, all your accomplishments, all your notoriety, all your achievements are going to mean nothing. And uh, you're going to be facing something that, you know, the only partner you're going to probably have uh, besides, you know, your loved ones uh, is, is going to be God. If you believe 
in a God. And, uh, you know, and, and at that moment, your faith is going to be tested. It's, uh, I'm sure that, you know, I'm not telling people in the military anything that they haven't gone through 10 times more passionately and more directly than what I'm saying. But there are moments where it's, you know, it's just you talking to God saying, you know, get me out of this, get me through this. And, um, you know, in those moments, you kind of find out how deep your faith really is. It's really easy to say, oh, thank God for all my blessings, and my beautiful big house and my beautiful big car. And isn't it great how, how good God has been to me? You know, uh, well, sure. It's easy to have faith when everything's going along just peachy. Um, and it's when you suffer loss or when you suffer a challenge, when, you know, we lost our little girl. And I had to scream at the heavens and say, you know, how is it possible that you could be a benevolent God, but you can't be benevolent to a seven year old who survived an earthquake when she was three days old, who became an orphan when she was two, who who had to get a brain tumor when she was five and was dead at seven? You know, what kind of God does that? Uh, and that's where your faith is really tested. And, you know, the, the truth is. I don't have a full answer to that question, but I'm glad that I have something to wrestle with. I'm glad that I have a belief that I can say, how could you do that? Why did you do that? I don't understand why you did that, as opposed to having nothing and just saying, well, the world is cruel. The world is meaningless. We're all worm food when we die. You know, I don't find a lot of inspiration in that. So um, the answer to your question is it's it's critical. It's 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 the underpinning of, of pretty much everything else that you do. We thank you so much for sharing um, your thoughts and, um, you know, uh, just everything in your books and, and for sharing it in your books and, of course, sharing it with us today. Um, we actually, of course, um, speaking of military, we have members in the military community from all over the world watching live with us. So the floor is yours. What message would you like to share with our nation's heroes today? First of all, gratitude. Um, I think in a world where everything gets so convoluted and everybody is ready to argue and, 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 and pitch their own little mini wars over a comment, a tweet, a podcast, uh, you know, whatever, you all are no better. Uh, I've always found that people in the military and people who've served, particularly people who've been in combat, they understand how silly the problems that we get infatuated with here stateside, you know, uh, can be and what we get caught up in and wrapped up in. Uh, and perspective to me, perspective is the greatest gift that you can have in this world uh, next to love. And um, if you've got the perspective that serving gives you, where you say, no, this is what really matters, when your life is on the line, where, where your, your, your friends and your partners and, your, and your, your, your buddy's life is on the line, and you've got to make those decisions. And as long as you're not having to face that every single minute of every single day, you can handle anything else. All the stuff that we get wrapped up in, you know, people who haven't served, it's, it's foolish in many ways. It's small and it can so easily be dealt with. And so I tip my hat to everybody who served. And, and as I say, 
my brother-in-law, Ali, who's watching on this, I, he's the one who called me and said, dial back in after, <laughs> after I got stuck on the, uh, on the uh, Frozen. Um, and I have such great admiration for him and all the decades that he put into service uh, and, and, you know, and the relatives of my family who served in wars and my father was in the service. And um, there's a moment in the five people you meet in heaven where the second person he meets in heaven, Eddie meets in heaven, is his old um, army sergeant uh, from the time that he was in World War II. And each person in heaven is there to teach Eddie a lesson. And the lesson that the army sergeant is there to teach him is about sacrifice. And without going into the whole plot of it, what he says to him at the end before he leaves him is sacrifice. You think sacrifice is that you lose something of your own, but what it really is, is you're passing something on to somebody else. And that's what service people do, you know, uh, in with their service, sometimes with their lives, they give the gift of, of what they have to someone else. That's, that's the ultimate kind of sacrifice time or, or all the way to your life. So, I thank you. I thank everybody who's watching. The minute I was asked to do this, I said, absolutely, 100%, just set it up. Um, I, I consider it an honor to talk to any of the people in our in our uh, armed, armed services. And I thank everybody for paying attention to this and, and, uh, and for reading my books. I hope they provide some diversion, entertainment, spirituality, or whatever uh, during the long hours. Well, Mitch, you're also getting an amazing reception on our live feed, and I'd like to share just a few of the comments with you. So Zia Mara said it was an interesting trailer, and in response, Franco says, wow, now I have to read that one now. And also, Julie Mitchell says, love this message. We don't know what the Lord will look like. And Emily says she's loving this interview. And John says, Peter rather says, veterans, thank you, Mitch. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And anytime you want to chat again, I'm here. I'll try to get better internet service. <laughs> hey, hey, Mitch, I got a couple comments on my page as well uh, that I want to read. Uh, my good friend, Gabriela Jaramillo, uh, she's retired, Massard now, uh, love her to death. She says, love Mitch and his sports journalism, but love the books, all of them. Uh, and matter of fact, when I when I we posted the promo for this interview, she posted her whole bookshelf and it's got Mitch album all over the, the, the bookshelf. So uh, you, you definitely are, are prevalent in Gabby's house household uh, and she loves your charity work. She loves what you do for the world. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Angela Santos, who is my uh, my public affairs NCO, uh, she she says she loves Tuesdays with Maury and the story behind the book. So many lessons. That, that and five people you meet in heaven helped me get through uh, when my mom was battling cancer. So uh, you're impacting people on, on a global scale and we love you and appreciate you for everything you've done uh, for the world. And so, so kind of, kind of, so for me, this, this whole interview has been kind of emotional. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I normally have like a low tear duct count. So, uh, but I feel like my allergies are kind of flaring up as we, we discuss this. And so now that you had people kind of crying, maybe watching this interview and people cry, definitely cry and read the novel. Uh, do you think you're going to have people crying on the big screen uh, with Strange in the Lifeboat? Could, could there be a film in the works or, or are there any other projects you're working on? 
the truth is that this very computer that I just dialed in on, when I just dialed you, I'm in the middle of writing the the screenplay for uh, Stranger in the Lifeboat. They've already oh. came after it for a movie deal, and we're in the process of putting it together. So, yeah, uh, I hope that I think it would make an interesting movie. It's very cinematic. It takes place out in the ocean and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, that's in the works. And, you know, I've, I've had films made in my books before. I have another film that's going to come out next year uh, about a hockey player. Um, so, yeah, I sometimes work in the in the area of film, but it's always from the perspective of story. You know, I always I just like telling stories and sometimes you tell them in books and sometimes you tell them in movies. But hopefully it won't be too long. There'll be a, a movie version of it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, well, I'll just wait till the movie comes out and not read the book. I would definitely read the book because <laughs> movies, A, I want everybody to read the book, but B, movies can take a long time, even when they look like they're going fast. So um, I don't want anybody to get too old before the uh, before the movie comes out. But thank you for uh, asking about it. And yeah, I'm literally, when the screen goes off, it goes back to the screenplay. Uh, of, of that's what I was working on before you called. So. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, awesome. I I always like to read the book before watching the movie and point out all the differences anyway. So that's good. Good suggestion. Uh, but you also host the Tuesday People podcast. It sounds like you've recorded over 100 episodes and some of the recent ones actually give insight to the lessons in The um, Stranger in the Lifeboat. Can you tell us more about yeah. the show and what fans can expect? Yeah, uh, well, I do two podcasts. One is the Sports Reporters, which is a show that I used to do on ESPN on Sunday mornings. Uh, myself, Mike Lupica, and Bob Ryan, uh, the three that were on that show the most, still do it uh, twice a week as a podcast uh, on Mondays and Thursdays. Um, so Monday we'll do the Super Bowl. And um, the Tuesday People podcast, we started a couple of years ago because I realized I have all these tapes of myself talking to Maury uh, which I never had any real way to sort of share with anybody because podcasts didn't exist until about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And so I thought, well, now that the podcast world exists and the medium exists, I could do a show once a week on Tuesdays, which is when we do it, and uh, take some of these tapes and play the conversations that Maury and I had and talk about some of the lessons just like we did. Uh, only already we've had over, yeah, well over 100 shows, so that's a lot more Tuesdays than, than I got with Maury, but there's a lot there. And so I share the tapes and I share some of the lessons and you can get either one of those anywhere you get podcasts, you know, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, all those places. And yeah, it's interesting, interesting way to talk to people. Um, I prefer this. I like, you know, interaction, uh, but podcasts are cool as well. You record them and you, you just watch people listen to them. Yeah, so um, before we say goodbye, can you remind our viewers where they can go to follow you, uh, subscribe to both of your podcasts, and keep up with all things Mitch Album? Uh, pretty simple. Uh, like a lot of people, I have a, a basic website, MitchAlbum.com, uh, which has all of that. There it is. And uh, my charity stuff, which um, I'd appreciate people actually checking more than me, um, I run an orphanage in Haiti. Uh, that I'm at every month and, uh, you know, without fail. And it's been 12 years now and uh, I'll be there for the rest of my life. Uh, we have 54 orphans that we raised there who are beautiful kids. And they, they and these are kids who have been abandoned. 
left out to die in the woods, you know, dropped off at a malnutrition center and nobody comes back for them for two years. The most horrific kind of early stories. Many of them come to us without a name, without a birth certificate. We don't even know how old they are, uh, but we bring them in and they live with us. We don't adopt any anybody out. They stay their whole time. They get educated four hours in English, four hours in French every day. Uh, my sister runs the school program and and uh, it's so good that we now have eight of our kids in universities here in the States and every one of them will get a college scholarship if they can make it. And so far they've all made it. And one of them is about to go to medical school. And um, these are kids who many, in many cases wouldn't even, wouldn't even be alive. Uh, and, and that is havefaithhaiti.org. You can find out about our orphanage. We want to volunteer or come down and work with us. Um, you know, we've actually had some people from the military who have, uh, after they've finished their service, have come down and spent time with us down there. And uh, I'm very proud of those kids. And, um, and, and I'm proud of the city I live in, which is Detroit. Uh, and I do work there at saydetroit.org, which is the uh, organization that I run there for charity. So thanks for giving me the chance to shout all that out. And um, hopefully we'll be hearing from some people. Of course, that that is amazing work that you're doing. Thank you um, for everything that you do for those children, um, giving them those opportunities. Um, as a reminder to everybody else, we, we do want to remind everybody that authorized shoppers can purchase The Stranger in the Lifeboat tax-free at shopmyexchange.com or in select exchange stores. And so also uh, for our chat viewers, I want to uh, remind you that this episode is available on YouTube and Spotify. Uh, you can rewatch with your friends or catch up on past episodes. Also, be sure to join us February 17th as we welcome soap star and Hallmark movie actress Allison Sweeney at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time and actor Shannon Tatum at 1.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. So, Mitch, kind of the cool thing about this show is I get a chance to talk to, to people that we watch on TV or uh, I'm like, and I'm in a, in a very, very unique position here in the military where I get the chance to talk to people that I see on TV or actors or athletes or, or military leaders. Um, and you see them in one way uh, from your TV screen, but uh, you don't know what they're doing behind the scenes and to be able to get to know you. Uh, the cool thing is, is uh, it seems like all the, the bad stuff in the world gets highlighted more than all the great stuff that people are doing. And so uh, I, I enjoy having these conversations and getting to know people uh, as, as human beings and also kind of what they're doing for the world, because there's so many great people out there doing so many great things uh, for the world that don't necessarily get a platform or don't get the attention because, uh, you know, negativity is, is what kind of sells or what people pay attention to. But and I just a want to thank you for, you know, giving us an hour. talk to our team and some perspective that you know people that that never got out of they can go into your book and world from different lenses and i think uh what i've been kind of planning my mind had these conversations that's great well it's a real pleasure uh i really enjoyed talking with all of you uh, while while you were talking i pulled up 
here's a uh, here's our kids. Uh, that's some oh, of that's them. Awesome. That's some of them. Uh, but uh, it's a pretty happy family, and uh, there's a lot of little ones hiding there down at the bottom. Uh, but we take in new kids all the time, yeah, and so, uh, you know that's that's where my heart is most of the time. And uh, appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about it. I love that. Absolutely, absolutely, man. That's that's amazing. And uh, like I said, keep keep doing the the great work that you're doing for the world. And uh, we, you know, you got supporters here at the exchange. We we love you, and uh, we'll continue to support you in the future. Uh, having that said, uh, if you don't mind hanging on with us uh, after the live, uh, I just want to kind of say some formal goodbyes. Uh, but we appreciate your time and we wish you all the best in your future endeavors. And uh, Chief Chat out. For more information about your exchange benefit and to shop tax-free for life, visit shopmyexchange.com. To view this episode of Chief Chat or to watch live, visit facebook.com slash shopmyexchange. <laughs>